This is Barry Zalma, Zalma on Insurance. It's time to talk about interpreting insurance contracts. And of course, there are rules that have been set by various courts across the country over the last 300 years that are applied with the intent to fulfill the intent and desires of all the parties to the contract of insurance. People and judges who are not conversant in insurance and the interpretation of insurance contracts believe that the insurance policy is difficult to read and understand. As one court said in a case called Delancey v. Rockingham Farmers Mutual, this compound, meaning a policy, if read by an ordinary man, would be an inexplicable riddle, a mere flood of darkness and confusion, should some extremely eccentric person attempt to examine the involved and intricate net in which he was to be entangled, he would find that it is printed in such small type and in lines so long and crowded as to make the perusal of the document physically difficult, painful, and possibly injurious. Of course, Modern insurance contracts are, by statutory compulsion, now written in easy-to-read language, intended to be understood by anyone with a fourth-grade education. The language is more in akin to an installment of Sesame Street rather than a commercial contract. The construction of insurance contracts is governed by the same rules of construction applicable to all contracts. In construing an insurance contract, its terms are given their ordinary and generally accepted meaning. They're no longer written in fine print. They're written in really big print with important parts made bold. The primary goal of a court faced with an insurance contract is to give effect to the written expression of the party's intent. Justice Breyer, a justice of the U.S. Supreme Court, in a concurring opinion stated, Under ordinary principles of contract law, one would construe the contract in terms of the party's intent as revealed by language and circumstance. The following rules govern the construction of contracts of insurance. If the terms of a promise are in any respect ambiguous or uncertain, it must be interpreted in the sense in which the promisor believed at the time of making it that the promisee understood it promisor being the insurer and promisee being the person insured. California Civil Code Section 1649 provides an excellent definition of the basic rule of interpretation followed in most states. It says that if a written contract is so worded that it can be given a definite or certain legal me meaning, 
then it's not ambiguous. However, if the language of a policy or contract is subject to two or more reasonable interpretations, it is ambiguous. Simply stated, all contracts are interpreted equally except insurance contracts which are interpreted to favor the insured in the event of any ambiguity. An insurer may not rely on an ambiguous interpretation of a policy provision that, if construed as the insurer contends, would deprive the insured of coverage. When the language of an insurance contract is reasonably susceptible to two constructions, it should be, and almost invariably will be, construed in favor of the insured. It is not necessary to show that the construction against the insurer is more logical than that against the insured. It is sufficient to show that the construction in favor of the insured is equally reasonable with that which favors the insurer. Where the language of a contract is clear and unambiguous, it must be interpreted solely by reference to the four corners of that document. When a policy is interpreted, the provisions of an endorsement added to the standard form language control the interpretation over the body or declarations of a policy when the two are in conflict. For example, the endorsement's language would control the interpretation of contradictory language in the basic standard form policy. This would occur when the language written limits an insurer's liability to the value stated on the declarations page, yet the valuation condition in the body of the policy or on a form endorsed to the contract is different. These rules are all subject to a limitation that a court cannot and should not do violence to the plain terms of a contract by artificially creating ambiguity where none exists. In situations in which reasonable interpretation favors the insurer and any other would be strained and tenuous. No compulsion exists to torture or twist the language of the contract. An insurance company has the right to limit the coverage of a policy issued by it, and when it has done so, the plain language of the limitation must be respected. No matter how much the insurer is taking away the rights of a poor person, or how much the court feels sorry for the insured, if the language is clear and plain on its face, it must be enforced. Almost every policy of first-party property insurance contains, for example, a private limitation of action provision that limits the right of the insured to sue on the policy for a period shorter than the statutory limitation period. When an insured fails to file suit before the running of the limitation period, 
the insured's only opportunity to avoid the effect of the limitation proceeding is to argue that the insurer waived its right to enforce the private limitation of action provision or that that provision is ambiguous and must be construed against the interest of the insurer. The law protects the diligent and ignores those who are slothful in the exercise of their rights. Insurance policies, including the mandatory standard fire insurance policy, contain a private limitation of action provision designed to protect insurers from stale claims and prevent fraud. In Jacqueline Keller versus Federal Insurance Company, a 2019 decision of the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeal, Ms. Keller and a Philip Yanni sought to recover under a homeowner's insurance policy issued by Federal Insurance Company even though more than a year had elapsed before reporting the claim and much more time elapsed before filing suit. A backup of water and sewage in the downstairs bathroom flooded portions of Keller and Yanni's Beverly Hills home and damaged parts of their newly installed hardwood flooring. At issue in the appeal was whether a clause in the policy that provided for a one-year suit limitation period prevented them from recovering under the policy. The policy has a legal action against us clause which read as follows, quote, You agree not to bring legal action against us unless you have first complied with all conditions of this policy. For property, you also agree to bring any action against us within one year after a loss occurs, but not until 30 days after proof of loss has been submitted to us and the amount of loss has been determined. Around November or December of 2012, Keller and Yanni noticed warping or cupping in portions of their newly installed hardwood floors as a result of the flooding. By June or July of 2013, they determined that the cupping was not subsiding and that it would not be resolved on its own. Keller and Yanni finally notified Federal of the sewage backup and damage to their floors on September 15, 2014. Federal denied coverage because of the breach of the private limitation of action provision and thereafter Keller and Yanni sued Federal. The Ninth Circuit concluded that the clause established both conditions precedent and established a one-year suit limitation period that begins after a loss occurs. The conditions precedent and the suit limitation period are distinct elements of the clause and each was given effect. Keller and Yanni's interpretation of the clause that it does not create a suit limitation period at all, or in the alternative that the suit limitation period is triggered only after a claim is filed and Federal makes its final determination regarding the amount of the insured's claim, is inconsistent 
with the clear language that the suit limitation period begins after a loss occurs. Their reading is also inconsistent with the purpose of the suit limitation period, which is to preclude stale claims, require the insured's diligence, and prevent fraud. Consider Prudential LMI versus Superior Court, a 1990 decision of the California Supreme Court. Keller and Yanni failed to comply with the one-year suit limitation provision because they filed their claim over one year after the loss occurred. The Ninth Circuit concluded that the district court did not err in holding that Federal did not need to show that Keller and Yanni acted with unnecessary delay in filing their lawsuit or that Federal suffered any prejudice because of this delay. It was sufficient that the clause was breached and that the plaintiffs failed to fulfill the condition precedent. Since Keller and Yanni failed to fulfill their obligations under their policy, Federal properly rejected their claim because it was time-barred by the clear and unambiguous language of the clause. The Supreme Court of Ohio on August 23, 2011, was faced with just such an argument after the Court of Appeals concluded that a private limitation of action provision in a policy issued by Nationwide Insurance was ambiguous and that Nationwide, by its actions, waived the right to enforce the limitation period in a case called Dominish versus Nationwide, a 2011 decision. On July 28, 2006, a storm caused a tree to fall and damage a house owned by Dennis J. Dominish. Dominish submitted a claim to his insurance company, Nationwide, and Nationwide investigated, assessed the damage, and twice issued a check to Dominish for $6,741. Both times that Dominish received a check, he wrote void on it, and returned it to Nationwide, deeming the amount insufficient to cover the damage to his home. On July 25, 2008, almost two years after the tree fell, Dominish filed suit against Nationwide. Nationwide argued that the lawsuit was barred by a clause in the insurance contract that stated, quote, suit against us. No action can be brought against us unless there has been full compliance with the policy provisions. Any action must be started within one year after the date of loss or damage. Nationwide clearly stated it was not liable beyond the amount of the check that it twice proffered to Dominish. In a letter dated September 6, 2006, Nationwide stated, you will receive or have received a partial denial letter indicating that roof damage is not part of the covered loss, nor is any damage to personal property, nor is there any covered cause of loss for any mold-related issues. All of these issues are discussed in the partial denial letter, as have many U.S. courts. 
The Ohio Supreme Court noted that although most words in the English language have multiple meanings, ambiguity should not be created where it does not exist. In isolation, any word or phrase in a policy wording may appear to be ambiguous. When considered as a whole, however, the provision in the nationwide policy was unambiguous. That the word start is not commonly used to indicate commencement of a lawsuit does not mean that it refers to something else when it is used in a provision entitled suit against us. Similarly, though the word action can refer to virtually anything done by a person, there is no reason to think it refers to anything other than a lawsuit when used as part of a two-sentence provision entitled suit against us. The fact that the two sentences could have been written more clearly did not mean they were ambiguous. The use of Sesame Street English may be difficult to interpret, but it's not impossible, and the Ohio court figured it out and made sense of what was clearly unambiguous and plain and patent to anyone who tried to read the policy. This video was adapted from my book, Selma on Insurance Claims, Part 101, Third Edition, which is available as both a Kindle book and a paperback from Amazon.com. If you found this video to be useful or interesting, please pass it on to your colleagues. It's free. And please also subscribe to my YouTube channel, my Rumble channel, and click on the like button and the rumble button when you view it. And please also subscribe to my blog and to my Substack publications. Thank you for your attention.